All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, God is good. I see the light. How amazing is that, right? I hope, I hope we see the light. And we're going to talk about some people who saw the light and heard from God and did amazing, incredible things with their lives because, because God was written all over their life. And when God is a part of something, big things are going to happen. We're talking about when God steps in, when he stepped into the lives of people in the scripture, when he steps into your life, when he steps into my life, when he steps into our situation, when he steps into our nation, God is able to do incredible things and lots of amazing things happen when God steps in. Power, direction, vision, comfort, all kinds of things from above are now a part of your life and your heart and your thinking and your motivation and your desire and your joy. When God, the God of all creation, the God who made everything is a part of your life, an amazing peace comes into your life that no matter what happens, you know that you are safe in the hands of God. I'm excited about this because when God steps in, miracles happen. That's what happens. Miracles happen. Supernatural events take place and, and things happen in ways that are unexplainable when God steps in. You know, everybody in this world, you hear this a lot. Everybody's talking about change, right? How we need change. We, we, we got to have change in our nation. Real change. Right? Acceptance. Equity. Right? Equality. And all kinds of like world need. And, and you just turn on the news, you just look around and you will see that there is a need for change. There is desperately a need for change. Our nation is becoming every day more and more a mess. A mess. And it isn't all COVID's fault. It's becoming a mess. So there's no doubt there is change needed, but there is one change that is needed more than any other change in this world. And that change is for God to step in, for us to stop ignoring God and turning away from God and begin moving again toward God. There's a need for people to live lives that honor the Lord. Can you imagine if everyone on the in our country, turned to the Lord and began to live their lives to honor God. The love, the acceptance, the unity would begin to flow through, through all the people in this nation and there would be harmony and there would be one-mindedness in and among our people. But that's not what, what's happening right now. What we don't need is religious fanatics who use violence to get their ways. And what we don't need is wishy-washy Christians who say one thing and do another. We don't need more taxes. We don't need more lies out of our politicians. We don't need more government control or funding. What we need is for God to step in because if God's not in it, it is a waste of time. And what we need to do as people, individual people, and as a nation, is to cry out to God. Remember, the Lord said to Solomon in 2 Chron Chronicles, he said this, If my people, 
who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The Lord has already told us what we need to do as people if we want God to bless our nation again. And it involves all of us. It involves every one of us to humble ourselves and lift up the name of Jesus. It involves every one of us to seek him, to pray to him, and then also to turn, to turn from our wicked ways. We cannot continue to live lives that are in rebellion toward God that we know are not what God wants for people. We need to turn. We need God. And what we need more than anything is a miracle from God for God to step in and I'm wondering today if there's anyone listening, tuning in today, that really could use a miracle. See, when God steps in, the impossible is made possible. We've talked already about how God stepped into these different situations in people's lives, creation, how God stepped in and there was nothing and now there's everything. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses. We talked about Joshua, well today, Today, I want to talk about how God stepped into the lives of the prophets, how God stepped into these people's lives. And when he did, he spoke to the generations. He spoke to the nations. He spoke to all of mankind, the prophets of God. These are ordinary guys who did extraordinary things because, because God was working with them and in them. That's the only reason they did extraordinary things. These are people who knew that in and of themselves, they were powerless, they were visionless, and they were foolish. But with God, but with God, anything could happen. The prophets of old. Let me, let's take a quick test. Real quick test, some basic Bible knowledge. Uh, in the Old Testament, how many books are there in the Old Testament? If you said 39, you are correct. In the New Testament, how many books are there? Ding, ding. 27 books in the New Testament. 39, 27 for a total of 66 books in our Bible. 66 letters from different authors that make up what we consider to be our scriptures, our Bible. Now, how many... How is the breakdown of the, 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 yeah, well, how's the Bible breakdown in the Old Testament? Anybody know that? 39 books, how do they break down? Let me give you a little hint. There's the books of Moses, there's historical books, there is poetry books, there are major prophets, and then there are minor prophets. And a very simple way to remember this, because you might be able to name all the books of the Old Testament, that would be cool if you could do that. Um, but the way to remember this is simply this. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Okay, 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Remember that, those numbers, because the first five books are the books of Moses. Then there are 12 books, historical books, chronicles and kings, those books. Then there are five poetry books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Then there are five major prophets. And then there are 12 
minor prop. 512, 5512. Good way to remember the books of the Bible or how they're broken into sections and how they are related to one another. Remember, the, the Bible is not necessarily written in sequential order. There are people who wrote the books are later on, but they actually lived before then, or it, it's stuck in there somewhere in the historical part of the Bible section, the 12 books. Anyhow, there's five major prophets. They are that wrote five writings of major prophets. They are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And there are 12, remember the five, five, 12. There are 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You can remember, remember those books of the Bible, 12, five, major, 12, minor. And the only reason that they're major or minor are because their books are longer. They're, it has nothing to do with the value or the significance of the, of the writer or the person. It has everything to do with the length of the letter. They just simply wrote longer books, the major prophets. Mostly, when we're talking about our prophets, we're talking about mostly men of God called by God to represent God on the earth, God's mouthpiece to the generations filled with God and moved by God to speak light and to speak truth to a world in rebellion. That's what these men did. And what this world needs more than anything else are some modern day prophets. Some people in every community, in your neighborhood, that will speak up for God that will represent the truth of who God is and what he wants. And if every neighborhood had a spokesperson for God, that neighborhood would be changed. And our nation could be changed. Let me share some key thoughts from the prophets and how God stepped into their lives and then what he said through them. And you can draw some of your own conclusions on what that means for you. I'm just going to share some, some, some prof, five prophets that spoke a word that, that, that speaks to us. But before we do that, let me, let me note a few things about prophets, okay? Note these things with me. First of all, not all prophets wrote books of the Bible. There were many prophets. They didn't all write letters. We have 17. Plus, if you consider Moses and Abraham, you know, and people like that, uh, um, prophets, then Moses uh, obviously wrote uh, some books of the, the Old Testament as well. But there were people who spoke, who were considered prophets like Elisha and Elijah and Uriah and Nathan, but did not write a letter, did not write a book of our Bible. The 70 elders of Israel were all people or men who prophesied, but they did not write books. Not all prophets were men. There were some women like Huldah and Anna and Miriam, they were uh, Moses, Moses and Aaron's sister, Miriam. They were considered prophets of their day or prophetists of their day. There's a few women prophets. Most of them, though, are men. And there are false prophets. When we think about prophets, we also have to think about the fact that there are false prophets. Zedekiah, Hananiah, Ahab, Shemaiah, Noadiah, Simeon, Elamius, uh, or Barjesus, and Jezebel. False prophets. In fact, Jesus said this about false prophets. Beware the false, pro false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You will know them 
by their fruit. You will know the difference between a prophet of God and a prophet of Satan who is acting like a prophet of God, dressed in sheep's clothes, by the way they live, by what they do, by the fruit of their life. Like you and me, prophets of old had a job to do, just like you had a job to do. But for them, their job was not popular. It was not always welcomed. It was firm. It was convicting. And most of the time, it was a bright nugget of truth in the midst of evil hearts and evil minds and evil agendas. And for that reason, we need the voice of God in our communities again today. We need the voice of God and the truth of God spoken everywhere it can be. In your, uh, in your um, PTA meetings, in your school systems, in your communities, wherever people gather, the word of God, the voice of God has got to be proclaimed again. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, when you see on the news somebody standing in a courtroom pointing out the sin of the people and saying, this is not how God created us to be. These decisions are not honoring God. When you see that, I don't know about you, but I'm like, that is awesome. That is amazing. That is exactly what we need. Brave men and women who will stand up and say, this is what God said. Not what we, we don't get to make up the rules. God has already laid them out for us. It's our job to follow them. And when people don't, it is our job as believers to speak for the truth of who God is. That is what the prophets did. They brought this nugget of truth into the midst of the darkness. Their, their message was given for a specific person, people in, living in a specific time, but their truths, the truths of the prophets span the generation. Remember, there are almost 40 named prophets in the scripture, and we have the writings of 17 of them. Five major, 12 minor. And I want to share from you uh, just from, from five of these Old Testament prophets. Each different, each unique, ordinary people just like you and just like me who, lo who love God so much. And they spoke up in their little world for God. They spoke for God. They weren't afraid of what might happen to them. They weren't afraid what people thought. In love and with conviction, they spoke the truth of God. That's amazing. Five glimpses into five amazing prophets of God. Here we go. The first one is Elijah. 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 We find him in the, in the history books of the books of Kings, the second set. Remember 512, the 12 books of history? That's where we find uh, Elijah. He didn't write a biblical book. We don't have one called the book of Elijah. Okay. He was a fierce man of God from Gilead, a daring man with iron conviction and constitution, flaming indignation, and a consuming zeal for God. He loved God with every bit of his heart. He was a warrior of prayer, Elijah. The kingdom was divided into two parts. They wanted kings, and there was Israel and there was Judah, the northern and the southern, and the people who had wandered far from God and, and began to embrace, once again, the idols of the land. In a dark, 
In the day of dark crisis, Elijah was Yahweh's champion. Yahweh is the God of our Bible, the God of all creation. His message, much like Joshua, was choose who you will serve. You need to make a decision who it is you're going to serve in this world. His mission to Israel came while they suffered at the hands of the Philistines, a neighboring nation that kept beating them down and oppressing them. Like a true warrior of the God Almighty, Elijah turns to God. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12, here's what's happening. Elijah goes up on the hill, up into the mountains, into the rocks to hear from God. And it says this, And after the, the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. He stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah was a man of God with a deep heart from God and for God, yearning to hear from God, no matter what anyone else did. He, Elijah, was going to honor God, live for God. He was committed to it, no matter what any other person did. God is capable of grabbing all of our attention in extravagant ways, if that's what we need. But to those who love the Lord, those who love God, he typically speaks in a gentle whisper in a gentle whisper. And only those who listen closely, on the edge of their seat, waiting, anticipating, and seeking the voice of the Lord will ever hear him. God speaks to his people through his spirit in our hearts. And if you don't take the time to listen, you will never hear the voice of God. You will never hear the Spirit of God. Elijah's life screams, pray. Pray with a deep yearning for God. Pray. Pray hard. The second person I want to uh, talk about for a minute is Jonah. Jonah is God's man. He wrote a letter, the book of Jonah. We have it. Jonah was called to go and preach to a city called Nineveh, a wicked city of Nineveh. Instead, Jonah puts on his jogging shoes and he runs the exact opposite direction. Isn't that crazy? It's just like people I know. It's just like us in some ways, right? We're running away from God. You know, I remember um, when I was at Ozark Christian College uh, studying to, to, to preach and to, to be in ministry, uh, I remember they asked me to uh, close in prayer at, at a big conference that they were having there that they had every year, the preacher's convention. Uh, and so I was closing prayer uh, one day and... Um, I was nervous. I, I, I didn't do much public speaking, at, really, especially in, in a large group. And so I go up on stage and I have the closing prayer. And as soon as I say amen, I'm just like, I bolt out of there. And I, I remember hearing behind me Ken Eidelman's voice. I, and I, and I, I don't know if it was my imagination or it was him. He was trying to get my attention just to like shake my hand or say thank you for doing that. But, but he's saying, John, John. And I'm hearing this voice saying, John, John. But I'm just bolting out of there. Like I am down the aisle. I am not looking back. I'm gone. Because I was just really nervous. Um, very nervous. A lot of people live their lives that way. This is what Jonah was doing. God was telling Jonah to go in this direction. And Jonah's like, 
I am going the exact opposite way. And he runs as far as he can away from God. Jonah had to deal with the things of his own heart. And at times he wavered and at times he obeyed. And, and at the end of this story, Jonah is not a happy camper. And the way things uh, end up, the way God handles these people and the fact that God forgives these people and he has mercy on these people. It's a story of God's continued love for the city of Nineveh and for Jonah, God's patience with God's man, Jonah. It's an amazing story of how God loves us and how patient he is with us. In it, we see a complicated relationship that God wants to have with a man, with an individual. Jonah, remember the story, he gets tossed into the sea. He gets swallowed by a huge, huge fish. And from within the belly of this big fish, Jonah prays to God in Jonah chapter 2. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, Jonah says these words, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That is a powerful statement. And nails it right on the head. Those, anyone, who cling, hold on to the worthless garbage of the world, those who cling to the stuff of this world as if it's something, some priority or importance, when you do that, you forfeit. You turn in, you exchange it, you get rid of it, you lose it, the grace that could be yours. See, Jonah knows what's right. He knows what is good. He knows what is honorable. He just has a hard time doing it like so many others. You know, Paul had this problem. I wonder if there's anybody listening today that can identify with Jonah in this way. How hard it is. We know what God wants, and yet we've, we've got all this stuff attached to our life, calling for us, demanding our attention calling out to us to spend our time doing these things that really don't matter at all. They have become our God. This truth, this truth travels all the way from the belly of that big fish to this very moment. We as a nation, we as a world, as a country are drowning, drowning in the idols of this world. They surround us. We are drowning in the sea of idolatry. We are pressed from every side. We are tempted to jump in and enjoy the pleasures. And while we are doing that, we are exchanging the grace of God. It's a trick. It's a trap. And those who grab onto it forfeit the grace. They exchange it like a bowl of stew or like pieces of silver. Trading in our eternal glory. We trade it in for cheap trash. The things, the trinkets of this world. See, Jonah's life screams to us this truth. Let go of the trinkets and hold on to the gold of eternal life that we find in God. That's what Jonah says to us. The third person I'd like to talk about is a guy by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, his message to the world and to you and to me and to his generation was, be good watchmen for Israel. Be watchmen. He was a shepherd to the people of God. He was a faithful preacher to the exiles in Babylon. 22 years he spent encouraging the discouraged living in captivity. 
influenced by the preaching of Jeremiah, the prophet, he heard Jeremiah speak. And that fired him up to go and speak for God as well. His call was to warn, to exhort, to console, and to build up the hopes for the future. His desire to be a good watchman for the Lord, to keep his eyes open like a good shepherd. His most distinctive teaching is that of moral responsibility of the individual soul. That at the end of all this that we call life, we are all going to stand before God. And we should take that seriously. And we should be responsible for our own soul. And then for the souls of those that God has placed under our care. His appeal is to the ministry leaders of his generations, to the priests particularly. In chapter 33, his, his appeal is all about being watchmen. Be watchmen. This is what he says. Speak to your countrymen. That should be county men. It should be country men. Speak to your country men. Be watchmen. If you see the sword coming, blow the trumpets and warn the people. If you do that and they don't listen, then their blood is on their own hand. But if you do not sound the trumpet and the sword comes and takes their lives, then their blood is on your hands. And that's the message of Ezekiel is to be watchmen and to sound the alarm. His message is rooted in the understanding of this gracious God who loves us and wants us just to come back to him so he can clean us up and forgive us. People who, he speaks of a God who finds no pleasure in hurting or killing. That is not what God is after, but a God who loves all men and has a compassionate love for each person. And he wants us to turn to him and recognize him and give him the honor that is due his name. Uh, Ezekiel's woe is to those who feed, clothe, and care for themselves while the people all around them go without, like sheep without a shepherd, wandering, wandering all alone. Ezekiel screams, be good watchmen of your soul. Be good watchmen of your family and your children and your grandchildren and God's people. Be good watchmen. Number four. The fourth person I want to talk about is Zechariah. Zechariah. He lived and he spoke for God. We have a letter entitled Zechariah. And so we can read what Zechariah's ministry was all about. During, he lived during the reign of uh, King Darius uh, of Babylon. He was a prophet to God's people as they rebuilt the temple that was destroyed years ago and lay in ruins in Jerusalem. He was, uh, the prophet Haggai had called the Jewish nation to begin to rebuild this temple that would lie in ruins, and it was Zechariah that would come alongside Haggai as tag team prophets. Tag team prophets. In the midst of crop failure all around, where they couldn't grow crops because disease and other things were attacking it, in the, in the, in the, in the midst of limited resources and in the midst of attacking nations, surrounding nations that kept coming against them to slow down the work or to stop the work or to interrupt the work, Zechariah was God's cheerleader to the Jewish nations. You can do it. God is with us. That was his word to them. His name means, the name Zechariah means Yahweh or God remembers. And that's what Zechariah did for the people every day. He reminded them that God was with them. He spoke words of inspiration and they flowed from his lips. 
God calls Zechariah and says, The Lord is not happy with your forefathers. But, but, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Tell the people, return to me and I will return to you. That's a truth that hits you and me right smack in the face. And everyone that lives on this planet, that lives in this country, return to me and God says, I will return to you. I am not going to force you to worship me. I am not going to force you to honor me or live your life for me. But if you choose not to, I am going to step away. You are on your own if you don't choose to honor the God of all creation. And you will have to deal with that decision. And in the end, God wins. You will not win. And so God is saying to all of us, this moment and back then and, and Zechariah's day, look, if you will just turn back to me again for the hundredth time, just come back to me. I will be there for you. I am right here. I've got you. But you've got to want it. You've got to will it. You've got to say, God, I need you. You've got to realize that God is God and we are we are the, the work of his hands. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. It's all his. And so God calls his people to return to him. Return to him. The book of Zechariah is filled with all kinds of imagery. A man with a measuring line, a golden lampstand, and two olive trees, flying scrolls, a woman in a basket, four chariots, and many other visions and dreams. In chapter 4, verse 6, Zechariah writes these words, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see that? God is saying to Zechariah and to all the people, and God is saying to you and me right now, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. I have got it. I will take care of the hard part. All you need to do is turn to me. It's not going to be by your might or your sword or your armies or your chariots or your missiles or your military or anything. It's going to be by my spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in the world, working in God's people, that God will do it. Not only is God with you, but God will accomplish whatever it is in you and with you. He will be a part of what it is you're doing and what he wants you to do. Zechariah screams to us these words, by God's spirit, he will do it. And so what we do is we just simply stay in tune with the spirit of God. Number five, my good buddy, Malachi, or as I like to refer to him as, Malachi, Malachi, the good Italian boy. His book is one of the shortest books we have, which is why he's a minor prophet. And it is the last book before the 400 years of silence leading into the New Testament, the Gospels. 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. Malachi is going to be one of the last writers to write. The scholar Farrar says about Malachi, he was the last flush in the sunset of Hebrew prophecy, like the late evening which brings a long day to a close, but also like a morning dawn which brings promise of a new and glorious day. That's Malachi. That's his letter. That's what he writes. His letter is tough. 
You want to read some good writings? You read the books of the prophets. Just take one of them at a time and watch what God did through these men, especially this book, Malachi. The prophet Malachi is a man who has sensed, this is a man who has sensed the futility of the cold, informal, external type of religion that masquerades under the name genuine. How relevant is that to us today? Now we, we, we have, there are believers all over the, the country that go to church for all the wrong reasons. They're part of it because maybe because that's what they've always done and so that's what they're going to do. And it's just a, a formality for them. It's just religious exercise. Somehow they think that by, by sitting in the pew, listening to a sermon, taking communion, lighting a few candles, somehow this is what pleases God. Like we just give our you know, ounce of flesh to God or we put our money in the offering plate and somehow that takes care of everything. That is not what God is after at all. Some people are just so enamored by worship that they just love to come together with other people and sing really cool songs and feel this emotional like uplifted thing going on, the inspiration of worship together with hundreds of people. And as awesome as that is, that is not what God is after. God is not after any of that. God is after our heart. He's after you and he's after me and Malachi. Malachi was sick of what he was seeing in his day. This, this pretending to go through the motions of religious activity. Man, I feel that way sometimes today. When, when, I, when I, you know, every Sunday morning we come to church and, and we just show up and we just kind of go through this this flow of what we do, and it's, it can become a very a routine-ish. And we got to guard against that. That's not what this is about. It's about honoring God. It's about worshiping God. It's about preaching the word of God so that people's lives will be changed. It's about hearing the word of God saying, God, change me in the midst of this. Not just hearing a good message, walking away and saying, boy, that was nice. We went to church today. How cool. That's terrible. That's not what this is about. And Malachi understood that. Mal Malachi was a fearless reformer who spoke directly to the sinners of his day without hesitation and without any embarrassment at all. Malachi was strong, vigorous, clear-cut personality who strongly opposed anyone who treated the things of God carelessly. Boy, that stirred him up. He was zealous to bring God's people back into a right relationship with Yahweh. God's love is pure and clean, but sin must be dealt with. Insincerity in worship is an insult to God. When leaders are cheap and incompetent, people suffer. How real is that for you and me today? God says in this letter, you have despised my name. God says, I am not pleased with your useless fires on the altar. You're, you're doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Your motives are way far from me. My name is to be feared among the nations. The name of God. You have broken faith, God says in this letter. I hate divorce, God says in this letter. Will a man rob God in this letter? And he says, test me. God says, test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. Test me, give, trust God, put your faith in him and just see what God will do for you. It's a word to return back 
to God. And in chapter 4, verse 2, Malachi says, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. That's, that's cool imagery, isn't it? You see a, you see a bull, right? Bull riders sitting on that bull, and they're in that cage, and they're just getting fired up, and they don't want to be in that thing, and they open that door, and that bull goes charging out, and he is like, he wants to get rid of whatever's on his back. But he's jumping, and he's turning, and he's twisting, and, and when calves get released from a stall, they, they go out and they jump, and they're just excited. Why? Because they're free. They're free. The, the book of Malachi ends like this, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty, remember the law of my servant Moses. This is the last letter of the Old Testament period. And now he's referring back to the very first letters of the Old Testament period, the books and the laws of Moses. They are still good thousands of years later referring to those letters that are still true and accurate for this day. The laws of Moses. Remember the law of the servant Moses and the decrees, the laws that I gave him at Horeb all to all of Israel. See, I will send you a prophet, Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the Lord that the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and will strike the land with a curse. This book of Malachi, this book of Malachi is this amazing letter of this great battle between how God can't stand the sins of mankind and our rebelliousness but he loves us so much that he wants us to turn back to him. It's, it's, just like, it's just like if you had a child, maybe you were this child, or maybe you have a child like this, that, that totally wanders away from everything you ever taught them, for who you are and how you live your life. It's like you got this child and they've wandered away. Now you, 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 you hate the behavior of that child you, you, you dislike, you do not agree with in any way how they're living and acting. It doesn't represent you as a family or you as a father in any way. But you love your child and you just want them to come back. Come back into that, that realm of living like we taught you to live. The way that we were good to you while you were living at home. And that they would just get their head on straight and not just do what you want. But do it because it's the right way to live. You know, and, and just like a father who hurts for their child, or just like a parent who hurts for you because you're that child, the, the prodigal son that has wandered off. I was that. God calls us back. He's always there. This letter is a letter of God saying, come back, return to me. I want to bless you, but I'm not going to bless you if you're going to continue to rebel against me. Oh, the prophets of old, the prophets of old, great men of God, not perfect, but available, useful, and faithful.
That's what God's looking for on the earth right now, you and me, useful, available, faithful, men who spoke difficult things, painful things like surgeons taking out cancer cells or infection, having to deal with it, having to inflict pain, but for the good of the people. Ordinary men who did extraordinary things when God stepped into their lives. Unbelievable. So many other prophets we could talk about, but there's five. Five amazing prophets who said five incredible things. God, be with us. Speak to our hearts through this message, Lord. Help us to see how you work through people when you step in. And that your desire is not just to clean us up, but to use us to help everyone around us honor you, live for you, and be more united in you, in the love of God that sent Jesus to this earth to die on a cross. There is no greater love. Father, help us to move and walk and direct ourselves and others toward that love and light. We love you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week.